This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents... Winglings Under the Willow Tree Previously on Winglings... Will and his family journeyed through the Rainbow Ridge and found themselves at a dead end. A wolf-like mud creature that had been stalking them attacked and Will was forced to fight it off and seek refuge with his family in what appeared to be a crack in the rock. Once inside the cave, they realized they were actually in the Temples of Light. And they weren't alone. 
Emerging out of the shadows was none other than Magborn. And now for episode 15, The Temples of Light. You, I said, gritting my teeth as I drew my Zaxlin. I should kill you where you stand. Magborn leaned casually against the cave wall and twirled his braided beard. You could try, but then again you wouldn't get many answers out of me when I'm dead, now would you, scrub? Don't call me that. I pointed my sword at him and waved for Ma and Dad to get behind me. I knew what Magborn was capable of. It wouldn't be a fair fight, but I knew that I could at least hold him off long enough for my family to escape. Escape? Escape to what? That beast was still out there somewhere. I couldn't just push them out the cave and into its smoking mouth. We were trapped. This had to be part of Magborn's plan all along. I don't need any answers from you, I said. You'd lie to me anyway. Very well, Magborn said. For the sake of time, I'll tell you my story anyway, and hope you come around by the end of it. You can thank me for protecting you later. Protecting me? Is that what you call sitting back in a cave while me and my family were cornered by a mudball-spitting monster? It's called a swiffle-giffle. You would know! You probably sicked it on us! Magborn scoffed. You've managed to spin quite the tail in that head of yours. That giffle wasn't here when I arrived, and I came as soon as I heard it. I was too deep in the caves to get here any sooner. And if it weren't for my shield of light, you'd be sloshing around in its muddy belly right now. I squinted at him. Shield of light? Kind of hard to miss the thing. He pointed behind me. The blue light blocking the beast from entering? What did you think it was? I looked back at the shimmering translucent wall that had saved us just moments ago. I thought that was a protective spell guarding the Temples of Light. Magborn chuckled. You were always a wishful thinker. It irritated me before, but I admire it now. The light in the temples went out long ago, Scrub. With it went all its protective powers. It has taken me a week's worth of summon Pixie to keep the shield up this long. But I'm running low, and that Giffle will be back with more bad news. They are scouts. Never seen one leave without returning in front of a legion of dark minions. He tilted his head to look past me. I see you finally found your parents. Aren't you going to introduce me? Where have you been? I said, still pointing my sword. I noticed Magborn's hand wasn't anywhere near his, and his enchanted rope remained neatly coiled at his side. Right, my story. Let's see. Back on Crow, while you went looking for a Queen Ink Ill, I stayed back to work on the boat. I know that part. Skip ahead. Magborn raised his curled eyebrows. Aye, that you do, scrub. Once I'd finished fixing the Jolly Leafer, a couple of dark legions descended on the harbour. Before they could see me, I collapsed the ship, sank her to the bottom, and ducked under the water. 
disgusting foul water. There was this layer of yellow foam that gathered around the boats and bubbled. Go on, I interrupted. Then I swam over to a lagoon that was even dirtier than the harbour, got out and snuck through town to the tavern. But you weren't there. I assumed we barely missed each other, but when I returned to the harbour, you were gone. Wasn't sure if you'd been captured or gone to the wrong tavern. But I'd hoped you'd cured the inkiel poison and continued your quest to the Temples of Light. I soon found signs of your escape, and I've been on your trail ever since. I'm not sure when I got ahead of you, but after being here for a day, I was starting to worry something had happened to you. We had a few setbacks, I admitted. The Jolly Leafers collapsible? I told you it was a special ship. I'd never actually had to use that feature, and it crumbled the leaf sails and put some ghastly permanent creases in some of my clothes, but it worked like a fairy charm. I thought for a moment. His story was convincing. Had he wanted to strike me down, he easily could have done so by now. After all, it was he who taught me everything I know. My skills with the blade and spells were no match for his experience. I lowered my Zaxlin. Why did you come? I asked. I thought you were only going to train me and that was it. I interrupted your hunting trip, remember? Aye, I remember. Magborn looked at the ground and then back up at me. Things change, Scrub. I took on the responsibility to train you, and I felt it my responsibility to see it through to the end. But I'm done training. Magborn laughed. We're never done training. Not in this life. Not when you've been blessed to wield Pixie like us. We have a duty to each other, Will. Me to finish your training, and you to carry on my learnings. It's an unspoken oath. You never striked me as one who held to ancient oaths. There has to be more to it. Magborn pinched at his beard. I see myself in you, Scrub. Far more than I'd like to admit. Far, far more. I rolled my eyes. I had a master that took me under his wing at the crucial time, and it changed everything for me. Saved me in many ways. Can't say I've always been true to his teachings, but I've done my best. I'm not the superstitious type, but when you stumbled upon my path, I knew it was the light's way of asking me to return the favour. I fought back tears and all the hot feelings I'd harboured up to this point. It's good to have you back, I said. These are my parents, Walter and Alita Wingling. Ma, Da, this is Magborn. Magborn bowed to them and my parents returned the gesture. And if it isn't the great intimidating Queen Emerald, Magborn said, reaching for my sister. Light, you've nearly doubled in size since I last saw you. Ma hesitantly handed him Emerald. The moment she switched hands, my sister threw up all over his shirt for old time's sake. Magborn immediately handed her back. Of course, he said. Em giggled at him. 
While wiping the mess off and then cleaning his hand on my shirt, Magborn noticed the necklace I'd kept hidden around my neck. Surprised, he reached over and held the mushroom crystal, his fingers stroking the red and blue feathers. Where did you get this? he asked. Oh, right. I took the necklace off and handed it to him. I almost forgot. The Tulip Queen asked me to give it to you. I'm not sure what it is. She said it would serve me well in my journey until it was delivered, but it's done nothing but sit on my neck and look pretty. Oh, I'm sure it's done much more than that, Magborn said, looking it over. Did you ever heal quickly from a wound since you got it? Or help heal someone else? Now that he mentioned it, there had been many bumps and bruises that I'd gotten along the way that seemed to heal quickly, too quickly. And of course, I remembered the woman I helped heal back in the Dandelion Kingdom. I had no idea the necklace had anything to do with it. I can see in your face that it has, Magborn said. It still takes Pixie to work, but a lot less than it would normally take to heal without it. He put the necklace over his head and raised his curly eyebrows, which was what he did when he wanted me to pay attention. Alita, I noticed you were carried in. Where does it hurt? Maul looked at me and Dan and then cautiously said, My back. It feels as though it's in a million pieces. She tried to sit up but winced in pain. Don't get up, Magborn said. May I help? Ma nodded. Magborn walked over and pressed his hand against her back. Closing his eyes and calling Pixie to him, he channeled the healing power into Ma. A moment later, the mushroom crystal on the necklace started to glow. Incredible! How had I not noticed it before? The light must have been hidden under my shirt every time it worked for me. It was probably glowing against my chest without me realizing. Dan and I watched as the pain in Ma's face disappeared and was replaced with a smile. A few more pops and cracks and she was good as new. Carefully, she got to her feet, tested the flexibility of her back, and thanked Magborn. I suppose we have a little time left, Magborn said. It would be an awful waste to come all this way and not take a look around. He drew his sword and stabbed it into one of the glowing mushrooms on the wall. Yanking it off, he held it out on the sword's point to light the way. Well, what are you staring at? Come on. Before we followed, I stabbed a glowing mushroom myself. But of course I poked the fattest one on the wall. Its hefty weight on the end of my sword immediately dragged me down. Even with two hands I struggled to keep it up. Try one of the wee little baby ones, Magborn said without looking back at me. They might suit you better. We little baby ones? I think not. I'm fine, thank you, I said. Might jab on a few more, as a matter of fact. (coughs) Thank goodness I didn't. One was plenty. Grunting from the effort, I carried my giant mushroom lantern as Magborn led us deeper and deeper into the caves. Symbols in ancient writings were carved into the rock and glowed blue high up the walls above us. Sometimes the words themselves swirled into beautiful designs or images. One such pattern was in the shape of a leaf and compass, 
just like the symbol I'd seen back on the Jolly Leafer. The symbol was found in dozens of places, mingled with thousands of other ancient carvings that guided us deeper into the cave. After a few more turns and squeezing through a narrow passageway, the cave opened up into a large, dark, cavernous room. In the darkness, I could hear Magborn whisper a spell under his breath, and the whole room lit up around us. I gasped at the sight of it. Vines, glowing bright green and blue, climbed up the wet rocky walls and connected at the center point of the domed ceiling. From their leaves, glowing flowers bloomed, pixie dust drifting away from their shining nectar. Below them, in the middle of the room, was a shimmering blue pond, and unless I was seeing things, a waterfall falling upwards from it. Long drips of water pulled up from its surface and splashed onto the ceiling above. Such magnificent beauty. When I saw it, I was filled with a sense of overwhelming wonder. And then it hit me. I realized that this wondrous place we'd worked so hard to get to wouldn't actually do us any good. The only thing making its light shine was Magborn's stored pixie and way with spells. There was nothing here for us but a stunning light show. My heart sank. It had all been for nothing. I dragged my family through constant danger for a cave with nothing more than shiny mushrooms. No protection, no sanctuary, nothing. Magborn noticed my disappointment. What's wrong, Will? You don't look impressed. My throat tightened as a flood of emotion swept over me. Embarrassment, anger, shock, fear of the impending danger. All of it came crashing down in a single moment. We were wrong, I said through tears. We were so wrong. Daz stepped forward. Will, it's okay. No, it's not. We've nearly killed ourselves trying to get here. To protect M and preserve our clan. For what? A bunch of worthless glowing plants? Do you think these plants are worthless? Nagborn asked. Unless they do more than weigh a ton and light a dark cave, then yes, they're worthless. I sat down and buried my face in my arms. I'm such a fool. Magborn walked over and squatted next to me. Scrub. The light works in mysterious ways. You knew there was always a chance the temples wouldn't provide the protection you seeked. And yet, against all odds, you were guided here. You had the wings to complete the journey. Not many can say that. I for one believe you were meant to be here. And those plants you rudely insulted? Some of them hold the history of every fairy clan that has ever been. I looked up at him. What do you mean? Magborn smiled. See those red mushrooms sticking out of the wall? I looked and saw thousands of hand-sized mushrooms, glowing red and growing out of the rock. Yes, I said. Go over and touch one. Focus just a wee bit of pixie into it and see what happens. I got to my feet and did as he said. 
As I rested my hand over the fuzzy mushroom cap and focused Pixie into it, it glowed brighter. That's it, Magpoin said. Now just a wee bit more. I closed my eyes and channeled another burst of Pixie into it. Water splashed behind me. Still touching the mushroom, I whirled around and watched, spellbound, as the upside-down waterfall shimmered with images. Pixie dust from the surrounding flowers combined with the rushing water to form images of brilliant light. In colorful detail, it projected a scene of a purple fairy clan fighting against a red one. They shouted and clashed mid-flight in an enormous battle. What is this? I asked. Magborn squinted up at it. It looks to be the Great Battle of Bipoli, a dispute between the dandelions and the lavenders over water. Huh. I always knew that dandies were exaggerating their numbers. I stared down at the mushroom under my hand, mystified, and then scanned over the rest of them. All of these hold the history of the clans? Most of them, yes. There are priceless records very few have heard of, let alone seen. Wish it wasn't so. A lot of heartache and trouble could be avoided if more fairies knew their history. From what I've read, it took an awful lot of pixie magic to store these memories here. More than a single pixie wielder can hold. I took my hand off the mushroom and walked over to a bigger one, barely glowing at all and half-broken. Its size and dimming light made it stand out from the rest. I reached out to touch it. Not that one, Magborn ordered, his voice more stern than before. That one's best left alone. I stared down at it. Why would Magborn care if I saw what was in this one? Was there something he didn't want me to see? Something horrifying? Something secret? I almost touched it anyway, but decided it'd be better not to upset Magborn. I'd seen what he looks like when he's upset. What's that? I said, pointing to a shining object next to the pool. Magborn turned and humphed when he saw it. Well, light shine on us. Would you look at that? He said. The Crown of Clans. Wedged and half-hidden between two rocks... The crown and its many jewels shimmered in the light of the glowing mushrooms. Magborn yanked it free and held it up. They say it glows with a fierce pixie, but only when worn by clan royalty. These jewels here are said to absorb extra pixie power to be used by those who wear it. Interesting. I wonder... I walked up and looked it over. I glanced at M, who was resting her red head on Ma's shoulder. Can I see it? Help yourself, Magborn said, handing it to me with a curious expression. I took it and walked over to M. Careful not to hurt her under its weight, I slowly rested it atop her head. Nothing happened. I adjusted it so it sat more snugly over her hair. Still nothing. Why isn't it working? I asked. Magborn shrugged. Like I said, Scrub, the light in these temples has long gone out, and with it, most of its magic. The mushrooms are probably the only things left of worth in these caves. 
Disappointed, I set the worthless crown back down next to the pool and stepped back. For a moment, I thought there was something familiar about it. Had I seen someone wearing it before? Is there another way out of here? Da asked. I've done some exploring since I got here, and I think I may have found a way, Magborn said. I don't know how safe it is, but it may be our only option. I'm glad you mention it. It's about time we started heading that way. I can feel the pixie in me running out and the shield won't hold for much longer. I thought of the shield and realized there was something next to it we were forgetting. Stella! I shouted, remembering our scorpion. No, Will, you're not going back for her, Das said. She doesn't fit into the caves anyway. But I can warn her, I said. I can tell her to run and hide while she still can. Maybe I can heal her. Magborn shook his head. I can't let you pass through the shield, Will. It's not safe. That scorpion saved my life, so the least I can do is tell it it's free to leave. I turned and started back towards the cave entrance. Scrub! Magborn shouted at me. I froze and waited for him to scold me into staying. Be careful, he said. And hurry! We're running out of time. We'll wait for you here. I nodded and headed down the passageway. When I got to the temple entrance, I was relieved to see the shield still glowing and holding strong. Just outside it, Stella lay, wounded, fidgeting, staring desperately into the cave. She seemed to relax when I came into view. It's all right, girl, I'm here. I almost reached through the shield to stroke her head, but then remembered Magborn's warning. You have to leave, I told her. You need to get as far away from here as possible and hide. The dark will be here soon. Stella tilted her fuzzy head. Go! We can't take you any further, please! Stella hesitated. And then, as if finally figuring out what I was trying to tell her, she turned and limped out into the night. When she was out of view, I let out a sigh of relief. Now I wouldn't have to live with the guilt of knowing she'd been captured or killed while she anxiously waited for us. But I was sad to see her go. She'd served us well. When she disappeared into the darkness, I looked up at Mother Moon. Half of her was concealed in shadows, but the rest of her shone brightly. Mother Moon, are you there? I said. There was a long pause. She said nothing. I was starting to get used to her ignoring me. Just as I was turning to leave, the shadows in her craters took form and a pleasant face smiled down at me. You have done it, Will, she said. You have made it to the Temples of Light. Surprised and upset, I turned back to face her. Yeah, much good that's done us. Why didn't you warn me there was nothing here? Why haven't you answered me all these nights? Mother Moon's voice carried on the breeze. Oh, Willem, you need not see me to feel my influence. I am always listening. Have you not found what you came searching for? No, I haven't. All I found was Magborn. Magborn? You are not alone? 
He was here waiting for us when we arrived. I guess I could say that's the only good thing that's come of this. He's helping us escape out a back tunnel. Magborn cannot be trusted, Mother Moon warned. Do not follow him, for he will lead you astray. Hide in the caves, and the light will protect you. But there's no light here. How can we be protected if- Who are you talking to? Came Magborn's voice behind me. I spun around, nearly jumping out of my wings. Magborn slowly stepped towards me, a look of distrust in his red eyes. My heart raced. Mother Moon's warning flashed through my mind. I was... I was just talking to Mother Moon, I said. I hadn't seen her face in a while, and... Seen her face? I paused. Why was this so hard for him to understand? Yes, I saw her face, as I usually do when I speak to her. But she hadn't shown herself to me for some time. Willem. It was unsettling hearing Magborn say my full name. Mother Moon speaks to the heart. Those who believe in her say they cannot behold her face because she doesn't have one. She is a guiding voice who uses feeling and thought. But I've seen her. I just saw her. Magborn shook his head. That's not possible. Now he was making me nervous. I started to back away. He didn't know what he was talking about. Of course Mother Moon had a face. Everyone knew that. Didn't they? As Magborn stepped closer, a howl pierced the night. With it came the distant thunder of jumping rocks. Magborn's eyes widened. They're coming. That was interesting. Were the temples of light what you were expecting? Sort of, not really. Those magical mushrooms in the temple were pretty cool, huh? Did you know that there is such a thing as glowing mushrooms? There are actually 70 species of bioluminescent mushrooms on Earth. There's your word for the day, bioluminescent which means the production and emission of light by a living organism. So if it's alive and it glows, it's bioluminescent. Fireflies, jellyfish, glowing mushrooms, they're all bioluminescent. I've always thought mushrooms were kind of cool and kind of funky. You see them growing in places that have plenty of moisture, like in forests or for some of you, your backyard. I know we have a handful in our backyard, You'll see them growing out of trees or sprouting up out of the ground. They add a lot of character to a setting. 
But what are they exactly? No, they're not tiny gerbil umbrellas, although they should be. And I know that another name for them is toadstool, but they aren't there for toads to sit on. But again, they should be. Mushrooms are not a plant. They are a kind of fungus. Unlike plants, mushrooms as a fungus don't produce their own food and they don't need sunlight to grow. They get their food by absorbing the nutrients they need to survive from dead organisms like rotting plants and animals. The life cycle of a mushroom, or the way it grows and reproduces, is quite interesting. They start their life as a teeny tiny spore. When that spore lands on a good spot with lots of nutrients like a damp forest floor or a rotting stump, it grows tiny hair-like tubes called hypha. The hyphae secretes enzymes like the ones in your stomach, and these enzymes break down its food source. The nutrients that are broken down are absorbed into the hypha and allow the mushroom to grow. Pretty soon it grows lots of those little hyphae tubes and they start to crisscross like cobwebs underground into what is called the mycelium. From the mycelium, a stem will sprout out of the ground and then a cap will grow out of the stem. Most of the actual fungus or mushroom is underground. That funny umbrella you're seeing sticking out of the ground is actually the fruiting body, mainly meant for reproducing, which it does by launching the next generation of spores. The spores can be found under the cap of the mushroom, that's the top part, within the gills. The spores are released from the mushroom and carried by the wind to their new home, where they will land and possibly grow into a new mushroom. Once all the spores are released, the fruiting cap of the mushroom dies. Isn't that cool? There are some mushrooms we can eat, and they are very nutritious. But don't just eat any mushroom you come across. Not all of them are edible. I'm going to repeat that. Do not eat any old mushroom growing in your backyard. Only eat the ones your parents put in front of you at the dinner table. So next time you see a mushroom on your plate... Think of the incredible life cycle it has and how amazing fungus is. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Winglings Under the Willow Tree. Tell your friends and family about these stories that you're enjoying. Spread the word. Share it on Facebook. Tell your friends at school. It's been fun to see the Rocketeer community grow. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to tune in next Monday for an all-new episode. This is your host... Greg Webb.